Well, good morning. It's good to be back. Uh, as I um, told a couple of the brothers this morning, I don't know if you know the, the little deal that Mike and I have struck up together, which is the first Sunday of June every year. I'm happy to preach for him if he'll actually go take a vacation. <laughs> so this is, feels like my third annual visit, the third Sunday of June, first Sunday of June with you. So I'm glad to be here and be with you again. Uh, I want to uh, give you a couple of situations that I've encountered over this past month. First one was actually a, a note from a friend who's overseas in a country that's facing a lot of persecution. And his note began, the police showed up at our service last week. And it was just a dreadful situation as police officers showed up and shut down the services that they were having as a congregation of believers in a country that's facing a lot of persecution. What would you do in that situation? How would you face that kind of persecution and kind of suffering that they experienced throughout that day and then through the weeks that, that came right after that? Or another situation, a, a dear friend and a man who's been a mentor to me about a month ago revealed to a number of us who have been under his tutelage that his cancer diagnosis that week was made terminal and he's unlikely to live through this summer. He won't see the fall as he put it to us in words that were brought tears to my eye as I, as I read the note. What would you do in that situation? How, how, how would you face the suffering and the difficulties as you were in that kind of situation? Well, I want to think together as we work through Psalm 34 this morning about in difficult situations, what would you do? How would you face the hard things in your life? What would you say? How would you pray? Where would you go in Scripture? Where'd you turn to the Lord? in the middle of those hard things, or do you turn elsewhere, even to yourself, to bear up and try and get through those things? We want to look at Psalm 34 together. So if you want to turn to Psalm 34 in your pew Bibles, and that on page 463 and 464, we're going to think together about this question of, in a difficult situation, what would you do? We're going to see David facing difficult circumstances and see how he faced those hard things and turned to the Lord. So Psalm 34, beginning at verse 1. I'll bless the Lord at all times, and his praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. O magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord, and he answered me, and he delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. O oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. O oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, O children, listen to me, and I will, I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, and his ears toward their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil, 
to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones. Not one of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord remembers the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. Well, if you want to look at the top of that psalm, you'll notice this superscription that's up there. Uh, The superscript says, Of David, when he changed his behavior before Abimelech, so that he drove him out and he went away. So this is a psalm written by David. Abimelech is simply a title. So it's like king or pharaoh. And Abimelech is an alternate name for Achish, the king of Gath. The superscript refers to that incident which Derek read to us earlier in Scripture, 1 Samuel, when David was in a perilous situation. Now, I, I think you may know, and most of you will probably know, much of the history of David as we read it in the Old Testament. Saul was the king of Israel, and he was jealous of David's popularity amongst the Israelites. So he attempted to take David's life several times. And David was on the run, and we will see how he was desperate. Because in in that story, what we saw was that David fled to the coastal areas of the Philistines. Now, you know who the Philistines are. They were the sworn enemies of the Israelites. So you've got to think about the fact that when you're, when you're running away from the king, you think the last place you would go is to the enemy territory. You had to be somewhat desperate if you're going to actually go hide in the enemy's territory. And yet that's what he did. He went to the land of the Philistines. He ran away and he went to visit Gath. Uh, this is Goliath's hometown. He went to Gath and he visits the king of Gath. And I want you to picture this. David walks in with Goliath's sword strapped on his side because he just got it from the king of Nod. I mean, the priest at Nod. He walks in with the sword strapped at his side. And as he walks in, the king's servants notice him and say, this is David, isn't it? Isn't this David? Isn't it the one who they sang about him in these dances? Saul has slain his thousands. David, his tens of thousands. And now David is outnumbered, and now the king's staff is recounting songs about David's might and prestige as a mighty warrior. So it's no surprise, we read in that that text that Derek read to us, that David became afraid. He became deathly afraid for his life in that moment. And what does he do? Like any smart soldier, he acted like a madman. Saliva drooling down his beard. He acts crazy. And what does the king of Gath do? Am I so short of madmen that you bring this fellow here to carry on like this in front of me? Why are you bringing me more crazy people into my house? Get rid of this man. So David is a madman. You know, his get worked out. He's able to flee and he does. We read in chapter 2, 1 Samuel 22, verse 1. One, that he fleed to a cave at Adelon. He, he escaped. Now, it was probably in that cave that David wrote Psalm 34 after getting out of this harrowing situation. 
And then, so Psalm, Psalm 34 is a reflection of the incidents that he just went through. And now what does he do after this narrow escape? He, he used his wits to get out of a sticky situation. He used his street smarts to get out of a perilous situation. And yet we notice, as we're going to, we just read this psalm and we work through it, he didn't talk about his street smarts or his wits about how he got out of that, did he? He spent his time talking about God and God's kindness to him in rescuing him from this situation. David looks back at the scary and difficult moment and he praises God who delivered him and protected him. That's what Psalm 34 is. It's David reflecting on the goodness of God and how he's carried him through this stage of his life as a man on the run fleeing the king of Israel. When you look back on hard moments and difficult seasons, how do you respond? Whether it's, it's just a single moment in your life or whether it's a really hard season, how do you choose to respond? Bitter? Confused? Angry? Sad? Do you think about what you did to get through those hard moments? Or do you focus on God Almighty and what He has done and how He's cared for you through His Son and some of the most difficult things you've faced in your life. So here's the question I want to wrestle with this morning. What do you do in difficult seasons? What do you do in difficult seasons? And there are four things we will see from Psalm 34. Number one, we praise God both in good times and bad. Both come from His sovereign hand. And that's going to be verses 1 to 3. Number two, we seek we, we look to God as our refuge. And that's going to be verses 4 to 7. Number 3, we fear. We learn to fear the Lord and fight our worldly fears. That's going to be verses 8 to 14. And then number 4, observe. We observe God's care for us and His opposition to those who oppose His children. And that will be verses 15 to 22. So four words that define our outline. Praise, seek, Fear and observe. Praise, seek, fear, and observe. And those four words will outline our, our time this morning as we just use those words to walk through this entire text. Now look down at the text. I want you to just notice those first 14 verses are really a personal testimony from David, recounting the difficulties he's been through, but giving praise to God for his deliverance and seeking after the Lord as a refuge. And you'll see a lot of first-person references in that text. Verse 1, I will bless the Lord. Verse 2, my soul. Verse 4, I sought. Verse 11, listen to me, I will teach. But then you'll see those last eight verses, verses 15 to the end, are David's observation about how God deals differently with the righteous and the wicked. We all face trouble. In a fallen world where sin affects everything, we will all face trouble at one point or another. So the question is, how will we face that trouble? How will we endure through hard things? And my prayer is that we'll walk through hard times and like David, we'll look to God and the goodness of God and we'll get comfort through Christ for our weary souls. So our question, what do we do in difficult seasons? Number one, praise. We praise God both 
in good and bad times. And that's verses 1 to 3. Let me read them again. I'll bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. O magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. So David starts with verse 1. I will bless the Lord. So to bless is to say a good word about someone. And David starts out these first three verses praising God. Look at the verbs he used. Verse 1. I will bless the Lord. Verse 2. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Verse 3. Magnify the Lord and exalt his name together. Two things you see about the praise that David utters about God. First thing, you see it's continuous. Verse 1, the praise is at all times, and the praise will be continually in my mouth. Now, praising God in very hard times is not normal for us. When you're in the middle of a difficult season, praising God naturally is not normal for us. But yet, David's encouragement to us is to praise Him at all times. Not sometimes or a few times, but it actually says, the Word actually says, at all times. Now, because of our sin, we tend to forget God, and we let anger and fear and frustration and disappointment and confusion define us both in and after difficult situations. But is it so far-fetched to say, praise you, God, because this is hard, but you haven't abandoned me. Or praise you, God, because I'm scared, but I know that you'll see me through this. Isn't that what David did after he faced the king of Gath? He stood in the cave of Elam and praised God for what he did. Praise God for who he is. Now, if I had written this psalm, this is what my prayer would be. God, that was a close one. Glad that I was able to use my smarts to get out of this. I don't know if you noticed, but look at what I did. (laughs) Is it, it surprising at how he praised God? It's all about God. If you look at this psalm, it's not about how he got out of the situation. I would have spent a while saying, God, hey, take notice. Look at how good I did in this situation. Don't you want to use me for other things? No, what it is, is I will bless the Lord all the time. That's the first thing that comes out of his mouth. I will exalt the Lord and magnify and exalt. And, and boast in the Lord. Uh, in suffering, how much are you focused on God? I'm not. You know, in suffering, I can get so caught up in myself. And yet, what do we want to be? We want to be extremely God-centered when we face hard things. And David sets this example for us. What would your prayer be after you faced a hard season? What would you say if a child abandons the faith? What would you say if you got the diagnosis like my friend, a terminal diagnosis as you face chemotherapy? What would you say after a frustrating frustrating few days with your spouse? What would you pray if you were in a painful season at work? 
Will you say, forget you, God. I I don't like any of this. I hate this. Why are you putting me through this? Or would you say, praise you, God, because you are helping me to bear up under this suffering. Praise you, God, for the ways in which you don't abandon me or leave me alone. Praise you, God, how you walk through this with me. Now, you know, sometimes in the midst of suffering, that might feel like a bitter pill to swallow. What do you mean I need to praise God in the midst of these hard things? Doesn't he see me and know the difficult things I'm facing? And yet, God doesn't save us from troubles. Often he saves us through our troubles. That's very much how the way the Lord works. Think of Romans 8.28. For we know in all things God works for the good of those who love him. Not some things, not a few things, not a tiny bit of things, but the word says there, all things. All things. We know that God works in all things for the good of those who love him. Every moment, every difficult season, even the hard ones, even the very hard ones, belong to God. Now, how often do you praise God after you've had a hard time? It's not my natural instinct, and I assume it's not yours either. But for a Christian, praising God comes supernaturally. That's how we come to praise the Lord, even in hard seasons. And why is it pivotal for us to praise God? Because it's important for our survival. You know, to, to praise God means we take our eyes off of the circumstances that surround us and we look up to heaven. And we see there's much more to this life than just the things that are binding us down and holding us down in our difficult situations. You know, trouble often comes in this life and it drags us down into a pit. And you know, what do you want to do in the pit? I don't want to look around at what's around me. I want to look out of that hole and look up to the sky and see the God Almighty who actually rescues me in these kinds of situations. I want to look to heaven and see that God is there and that he controls everything. The second aspect of praise you see that David points out, it's congregational. Verse 2 and 3, let the humble hear and be glad. And he says, with me and let us. This is an invitation to praise God together. Now, many of you know what uh, often my day-to-day job is. I I work as part of the counseling staff there. I take on a lot of hard situations in the church, face the difficult things in a fallen world, week in and week out and day-to-day. And it's been more than once that I've come on a Sunday just weary, sad, depressed as you bear the weight of this fallen world. And you know what encourages me? The singing of the saints. As the saints sing on Sunday morning and they praise God together. So why, why do we sing? We sing first and foremost, as many of the songs we sung this morning, to praise the Lord. That's, what, that's why we're here, to praise God for who He is, for what He's done, for who He is in this universe. And yet, you might laugh when I tell you, your measly little voice on Sunday morning matters to the rest of the church. Now, you're going to say to me, well, you've never sat next to me on Sunday morning. You really haven't heard me sing. You wouldn't be saying that if you actually sat next to me in our pew every Sunday here. Well, not true. Do you realize your voice lends courage to everyone else around you? 
It strengthens those around you on Sunday mornings. How often have I come to a Sunday morning and, you know, as much as the prayers are encouraging and Scripture realigns my heart, the first thing that hits my heart is the praises of God's people. It's the songs that are sung. And how sweet it was for me. We were just about five rows back. And yet I can hear this morning the congregation singing. So all of you in the back might think, my voice doesn't matter. Well, it does matter. It really does matter. The voices of God's people bring encouragement to God's people. And so Sunday morning, never come in thinking, well, you know, I'll, I'll try to sing. No, sing to the Lord, but also sing for one another. That's a part of what David encourages us to do here, to bring encouragement to those around us. David praised God regardless of the circumstances, but he praised God here to, to remind us to bring encouragement. So he speaks to all of us to sing for each other, to bring praise for each other. So David praised God regardless of the circumstances, both in good and bad times. And so do we. We praise God no matter what the situation is. But we see in these verses that we praise God because He's delivered us from troubles too. And that, that brings us to point two. What do we do in difficult seasons? Number two, we seek. We, we look to God who is our refuge. And that's verses four to seven. I sought the Lord and He answered me and He delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to Him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. The poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angels of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. So in your Bibles, I want you to turn back to 1 Samuel. And I want you to think a little bit about David's life that builds up to the situation that we're in. So in, in um, chapter 17 in 1 Samuel... What you'll see is David had slain the mighty giant Goliath. And then he's conscripted into the service of Saul. And the Lord grants him great success, we see there in chapter 18. But look at verse 12 in chapter 18. It's a key verse in this storyline. Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with David, but had departed from Saul. From that moment on, the storyline changes in regards to David and Saul's relationship. Which, what you find there is out of jealousy and, and because of his fear of man, Saul now turns against David. And you see that for much of the rest of the storyline. Uh, chapter 19, you see Saul tries to kill David. And then chapter 20, Jonathan warns David and sends him away. And David is at one of the lowest points in his life then, because he has no food, no protection, and he's now a man on the run. He's fleeing the king of Israel. And out of desperation, I mentioned earlier, he goes to Gath, the land of the Philistines, to enemy territory. Chapter 1 then, which we read earlier, he convinces the priest at Nob to give him the holy bread and the sword of Goliath, and he enters into the presence of the king of Gath, and he act, does his a madman act. And the king of Gath throws him out. And then in chapter 22, David retreats to a cave all by himself. And then family and disenfranchised warriors come to him and he builds an army. But you think about that. When he first walked into that cave after fleeing the king of Gath, he was all by himself. 
Can you imagine how lonely that was for him? Here he is. He's a man on the run. He goes from the success of being one of the greatest and most well-known warriors in all of the kingdom to now a man on the run hiding in a cave all by himself. And where does David turn? Look with me at the psalm. Verse 4, I sought the Lord. Verse 5, those who looked to him. Verse 6, the poor man, which is most certainly David, cried out to the Lord. David turns to God as his refuge in a difficult time. Now, what's a refuge? It's a safe place in the midst of a storm. You'll notice also verse 8. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. And then verse 22. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. Now, you know, in, in a few weeks ago, I don't know if you were here when a tornado warning hit our area. And so we were in D.C. and Bobby Jameson, one of the associate pastors, walks in my office with a laptop and said, I don't know about you, but my phone's lighting off. I'm going to go to the basement. It says there's a t- tornado warning. And I've been here for years and saying, a tornado warning here? Really? So I went to the basement with everybody else in, in the office. And you picture a tornado. When a real tornado hits, when it hits a community, it rips trees up. It throws cars around like matchbox cars. It, it wreaks havoc wherever it hits. And, and, and when we were in Louisville, Kentucky for many years, my wife and I, when tornado watch came, would flee to the basement. The tenant above us, though I, I as, as a guy in the Northeast who never grew up in tornado area, never knew what to do, the guy above us would always hit the ground, wrap his arms around his head, and like huddle as there was a tornado watch while I stood next to him just sitting there going, okay, what do I do next? Well, let me offer you something much better than a basement. God is our refuge and our strength. God is the safest place in storms. God is the refuge from whom we can all turn. You know, a a house in a basement might offer you temporary refuge, and yet the Lord is the safest place to turn to in this life. David had no family, no friends, no army, no home, no water, and no food. And as a man on the run, he literally had no place to turn. And yet, where does he turn? He turned to the Lord. He sought the Lord in the midst of his difficulties. Now, where do you turn in hard situations? Do you turn to God as a refuge? Do you turn to Him as your strength? Now, you notice from the psalm, the Lord will not be silent. Verse 4, God answers. Verse 6, He hears. Verse 7, He delivers David. As bad as your life might be sometimes, you're not alone. Your situation might be bleak. It might even feel hopeless. Yet God did not abandon David, and if you're one of his children, he will not abandon you. That is the promise of Scripture. He will not abandon you. Psalm 46, verses 1 to 3. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, and though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Do you take comfort in the fact that God is a very present help in trouble? A very present help in trouble. 
That, that is meant to be a comfort to each one of us. He's not distant. He's not removed. He's not far, far away. But in those difficult moments, he's a very present help in trouble. So that's what David was looking to in that moment in the cave when he was all by himself. He's looking to God to be a very present help in the midst of his trouble. Look at verse 7, that, the final part of that, that section. It says, The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him. That phrase, angel of the Lord, in the Old Testament describes simply the presence of the Lord himself. So, you know, like an army that surrounds a city and protects it. So God encamps around his own children. When the king Saul hunted David down, David turned to the Lord. When David had no food or water, David turned to the Lord. David was the poor man who cried out to God. And what about you? In the middle of your hard situations, where do you turn? What do you do? When you face cancer, or when one of your children abandons the faith, or when your boss is giving you a hard time, or when you get fired or lose your job, or when you can't pay the bills, or when one of your children gets sick, or when one of your parents dies, what do you do? What do you do in the manifold of difficult things we face in this fallen world? Well, David's testimony is straightforward and simple. It's, I sought the Lord. I sought the Lord. And what does God do in terms of delivering David? Well, you see, what does he deliver him from? Verse 4, his fears, and we'll talk about that a little bit more in just a moment. But then you see there in verse 6, he delivers him also from his troubles. So David looks back at these hard days and doesn't see himself as alone. He sees God alongside of him, strengthening him. And isn't it a common device of the devil to make each one of us as Christians think we're all alone and by ourselves? You know, how often have I had Christians say to me, like, God doesn't care, or God's not here. These difficult things are evidence that God is not a part of my life anymore. Do you feel like God has abandoned you even today? Are you struggling right now with whether the Lord is actually close or whether the Lord is present in your own life? He doesn't leave his children alone. The Lord does not abandon his children at all. God is with you in your hard season. He's a very present help in times of trouble. God is a very help, present help in trouble. So turn to Him today, not away. Don't look to the other things that this life offers. Turn to Him today and ask Him, Lord, I seek You and I ask for Your help in this situation. So David sought after God as a refuge and the Lord delivered him from his troubles. But there is more. We, we've got to figure out what these worldly fears are. So we ask what do we do in difficult situations? Point number three, fear. We learn to fear the Lord and fight our worldly fears. And that's verses 8 to 14. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, O children, listen to me, and I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What is there, what man is there who deserves life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. 
Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. So verse 8, you see the invitation to taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see is obviously here figuratively. We don't literally taste God like we taste our morning donut. That's not what the psalmist is talking to us about, not what David is meaning, but it's simply a figurative phrase, a metaphor to help us understand how we're experiencing God. The psalmist talks about his experience of God as good. You see there in verses 8 to 10, you know, if I were to give a summary statement, it would be something like this. Those who fear the Lord lack no good thing because the Lord is good. Now, I want you to picture this. A little lying cub, hungry, the little rascal, we stick him in my kitchen, we lock the door, and we go away for a few hours. Now, you might think, why would I do that? Well, just imagine that I did that. I come back, and what will I find when I open the door? Well, that little rascal will have not only ripped up our kitchen, he'll ripped up everything he could find in order to find some food. Because I left him there hungry. I left him there wanting for more. Well, let's think about you spiritually. When you praise God, verses 1 to 3, when you seek the Lord, verses 4 to 7, when you find your refuge in God, verse 8, when you fear Him above all else, verses 8 through 14, you will not want like that lion cub because you will personally know the Lord's goodness. You will have personally experienced God's goodness in your own life. In reflecting on his earthly fears, David speaks of the one fear that really does matter, the fear of the Lord. Earthly fear is that fears we face day to day. It's the worldly fears we face. Now, you know, it's, it, you think of it as fears of spiders or heights, but in David's case, it's actually fear of someone else hurting him, someone taking his life. Fear of the Lord is honoring and exalting God above all else. It, it, it's fear, first and foremost, of Him. It's a revering and honoring of God Almighty for who He is and what He's done in our life. The fear of God is vital for your survival. Now, there's a contrast that's woven throughout this psalm. It's between David's earthly fears, which you see in verse 4, where David asks to be delivered from all my fears, and David asks the Lord to deliver him from the difficulties that he's faced. Obviously, these are worldly fears. These are hard fears that we face day to day. But, you know, you picture that scene in 1 Samuel 21, where David was standing there with the sword of Goliath strapped in front of him and the servants of the king of Gath singing songs about his great might. The, the text told us in 1 Samuel 21, he was afraid. He was fearful for his life at that moment. David was human, and he understood the perilous situation he was in. What are you scared of? Just take a moment and think about it. What are you scared of in this life? You know, is there a hard conversation or a hard relationship that you need to face? You just don't want to do it. Or are there things going on in your place of employment right now that you, you just you, you find your boss say to be unpredictable and fickle? Or are they family members and it's just a constant consternation and difficulties? The, the, the difficulties that you face, not just over weeks or months, or now you can recount years, the hardness of it. Are you afraid of getting sick? Are you afraid of dying? Whatever your fears are, whatever you, 
you, you, you face. You need to fight those fears. Do your fears get the best of you most days? Or have you learned to fight those fears with a greater fear? You know, what David offers for us is a fear of the Lord. The other fear that David often talks about through his Psalms that he teaches us here is that fear of the Lord. You see that in verse 7. You see it again there in verse 9. And you see it especially there in verse 11. In verse 11, David says, he, he takes on the role of instruction and says, I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Well, guess what? School has begun and the main lesson is the fear of the Lord. Now, kids, let me say to you, uh, not only on Sunday mornings are you here to sing and pray and to hear God's word, but learning to fear God above all else, learning to honor him in your life above all else is the most important thing you can do. It is the most important thing you can ever learn to do. So many times school will teach you lots of good things, but the most important thing you could ever learn is to fear God the most. And that's what your parents want to teach you in the way they live their life, in the way they try and model their own fear of the Lord. And so I, I pray that as you watch them and you come to church, you learn that for yourself. Fearing God matters for all of us, first and foremost. Worldly fears, worldly fears will come and they'll be natural for us to face up to and get caught up in. And every single person in this room needs to learn to fear the Lord. Verse 11, come and listen to me and David says, I will teach you, teach you the fear of the Lord. He says it's something we can learn. It's something each one of us can actually learn. So open your notebook and prepare for his lesson. We can learn to fear God. Now, how do we grow in the fear of the Lord? Well, you know, the first and foremost, we learn to fear the Lord by focusing on the Lord himself. Because he is the one of whom we fear. But that's why we worship, because we want to orient our hearts toward God. And, and that's why the Word matters, because it teaches us what it means to have a personal relationship with God. And that's why prayers of praise matter, because it focuses our heart on who God is and what He's done for us. And that's why solid Christian fellowship matters, because it, it spurs us on to trust the Lord. Our fear of the Lord has this expulsive power it, it expels those worldly fears. So picture a dark room that you're in. Pitch black dark. Or, you know, as we've done camping sometimes, if you get up in the middle of the night and it's just so dark you can't see anything for, for a good, good long distance. You, you can't even see barely the hands waved in front of your face. And a, and, and a window's open and light breaks in to our house that's pitch black dark. Light expels the darkness. It, 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 it shoes away the darkness. And so the fear of the Lord expels those worldly fears. What it should do is push out those worldly fears so it doesn't take up and captivate your own heart. The fear of the Lord should reign in your heart. And that's what we want for all of our lives. Now up to this point, it's actually been a little bit of a Christless sermon. You know, if, if I'd stopped here, I'd ask you never to ask me to come back again on the June. And that's why point four is so important to us. Point four, observe. We observe that God treats the righteous and the evil differently. That's verses 15 to 22. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears toward their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. 
When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones, not not one of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. So just three subpoints under point four. Three subpoints I want to make. Number one from this section you see, God is righteous. So subpoint number one, God is righteous. Both the righteous and the wicked will experience trouble. That's what this section tells us. Verse 19, many are the afflictions of the righteous. And then verse 20, afflictions will slay the wicked. We all face trouble and none of us get out of it. But what will we do and how will God help us in that affliction? And you see there, God is for the righteous. You know, we think about the term righteous here as a noun, referring to a people group and people. We're talking about those who've turned away from evil, verse 14, and those who have turned to the Lord. The Lord sees the righteous, verse 15. He hears their cry for help, verses 15 and 17. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit, verse 18. He delivers the righteous out of all their troubles, verses 17 and 19. And then finally there in verse 22, you see, he redeems the righteous and makes sure none of them will be condemned. But then you also notice there, God is against those who do evil. The Lord faces is against those who do evil, such that he cuts off the memory of them from the earth. That's verse 16. And then verse 21, the Lord condemns those who are against the righteous. Now, if you're not a follower of Christ, realize that this part of the psalm applies to you. The Lord is not for you if you are against him. As as much as you want to believe that God is for you, If if you are against him, he is also against you. As a sinner, someone who's chosen to do life your way, rather than following God, you stand condemned because of your sin. And what a fearful thing to stand condemned by a holy God. What a dreadful thing to stand condemned by a holy God. The most important thing any of us could ever do is to reconcile our life back to God. To deal with our sin, to repent of that sin, which means to turn our back on it, renounce it, and to turn to Christ, who has been sent by God to reconcile us back to Him. Christ died on that cross for sinners like you and me, so we can be reconciled back to God. The best thing you can do today is not simply leave here today being opposed to God, but to actually reconcile your life to Him. And that applies to every single one of us in this room. If you're at all distant from God today or not reconciled with Him, what better day than today than to reconcile your life back to Him? But you see there, sub-point number two, number two, our deliverance is in Christ. Look at verses 19 and 20. It says, uh, it delivers Him out of them all, and He keeps all His bones, and not one of them is broken. These lines were actually fulfilled in Christ. Now, I want you to recall John 19. You don't have to turn there, but let me remind you of what we see in John 19. The Jews asked Pilate to break the legs of the crucified men. And they wanted those crucified men off of those crosses taken away on the Sabbath day. 
And so the soldiers went to break the legs of the two other men that are around Jesus. And then they came to Jesus and saw that he had already died. So they did not break his legs. Well, John, John 19.36 quotes Psalm 34.20. For these things took place that the scripture might be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. Psalm 34.20 is fulfilled in Christ in a way that David would have never even imagined. The righteous one, the righteous one, Jesus Christ, delivers us from sin and death so that we can be reconciled to God. This is our deliverance and this is our hope in stormy seasons. Not simply that God would provide relief for us in our troubles, but that God would reconcile us back to himself and that we would find salvation in his son. So the righteous there in the Old Testament found its full fruition in the righteous one, Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.21 God made him, Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us so that in him we might have the righteousness of God. That is our hopes brothers and sisters, that through Christ, the righteous one, we might be reconciled back to him. And through this verse, we see 2 Corinthians 5.21, the great exchange that Christ gives us his righteousness and our sin is given to him so that we could be saved. That is the best news I could give you today, that Christ did that for us. And our responsibility, even today, even this moment, is to repent of our sins and trust that Christ has come for us because that's what God did to send him for us. And that third subpoint, number three, in the end, through Christ, there will be no condemnation. There is condemnation, you see there, for those who hate the righteous. That's verse 21. But there is no shame or condemnation for those who find their refuge in the Lord. That's verse 5 and verse 22. Now, you know Romans 8.28. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation. No condemnation at all for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you repent of your sins and trust in Him, this is one of the joys of the Christian life. That there is no condemnation because of Christ. I wonder if that sounds attractive to you. In a world in where guilt and shame plague us often, and we, we wrestle with our sin and struggle with our sin, having no condemnation is a wonderful gift of God to His children. If that sounds attractive to you, let me invite you to trust in Christ today. Why wait? Why not today give your life to Him and trust what Christ has done for you? Now, in his famous allegory, Pilgrim's Progress, John Bunyan describes this character named Christian carrying a burden on his back, the burden of sin. And what happened when Christian came to the cross? You remember these words, many of you who've read Pilgrim's Progress. Bunyan writes, Christian ran thus till he came at a place somewhat ascending, and upon that place stood a cross, and a little below, in the bottom, a sepulcher. And just as Christian came up to the cross, his burden loosed from off his shoulders and fell from his back and began to tumble, and so continued to do till it came to the mouth of the sepulchre, where it fell in, and I saw it no more. And then Bunyan continues, 
Then was Christian no longer condemned. Then was Christian no longer condemned. He was glad and lightsome and said with a merry heart, He hath given me rest by his sorrows and life by his death. Let's pray together. Lord, we know that truth is for us who have trusted in Christ. That there is no condemnation for those who trust in Christ. That there is refuge, that you are a very present help in trouble. Lord, that we can turn to you in the midst of our difficulties. We pray that you would help us to to do that very thing this day. We pray it in your son's name. Amen.